0: Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, great American poet, was uh, despairing one Christmas in 1863 because the American Civil War was going on. This is the war, I don't know if you realize it, but where more Americans have died than any other war we've ever had, primarily because we were fighting each other. And in the poem, the narrator is hearing the bells on Christmas Day, but it leaves him with very little peace, and this is the way it goes. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong, and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. There's actually more verses to that original poem. If you want to read them, you can look it up online. But we're going to fast forward now to Christmas Day, 1944. The world is involved in a second global conflict that we know as World War II. There is very little, if any, peace on earth and goodwill toward men and women, or even for children, because the whole world is involved in this conflict. Six months before Christmas 1944, in June, the Allies had assembled almost 3 million men, they stored 16 million short tons of supplies in Britain for a great invasion of France, the Normandy coast. The Allies had assembled 5,000 large ships, 4,000 smaller landing craft, more than 11,000 aircraft. Months before the invasion, you can flip to the next slide, I think, Months before the invasion, Allied bombers pounded the Normandy coast to prevent the Germans from building up their military strength. Storms forced Eisenhower to postpone the invasion for one day. And the paratroopers went ahead to cut railroad lines, to blow up bridges, to seize landing fields. Gliders brought in men and jeep and light artillery and small tanks, Allied warships anchored off the coast, rained shells on the Nazi coastal batteries. Eisenhower had told the combined forces of the Allies, You are about to embark on a great crusade. And it was. The first wave of infantry and armored troops crossed the choppy English Channel under an overcast sky, and they waded ashore on a 50-mile front at 6.30 a.m. on D-Day, June 6, 1944. Now, there's a story about a captured German officer that day. And as he was being transported in an open Jeep to be interrogated by the higher ups in the allied forces. As he saw the amount of gasoline and oil and the armaments and the men that had been assembled by the allies, he knew that Nazi defeat was assured. Because they had dwindling gas and dwindling oil and dwindling supplies and dwindling arm- armaments. The Americans had too much compared to what Germany could muster at that point. Fast forward six months to Christmas time, 1944, and it was pretty obvious that the offense that was begun at D Day was unstoppable. The Allies were poised to win what was the bloodiest battle of the war, the Battle of the Bulge in the Ardennes Forest. Russian soldiers on the other side were poised to enter Warsaw, Poland. Germany's surrender was inevitable at this point, but the war would continue for four more months until April of 1945. There was no peace on Earth then either. If we get honest, honestly, There's really not much peace now. Nor was there peace the day that little sweet baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Romans were conquering new territories. They were quelling rebellions, even in Israel. Families would fight amongst themselves, and neighbors were feuding with neighbors' back, When Jesus was born, same as they do now. I mean, even in 2020 2022, 2022, how many twos can you put in there? Even in 2022, I'm already fighting to have peace in my own heart. So what did the angels mean when they talked or sang about peace on earth? Let's go to Holy Scripture and try and figure this out. Okay, Luke 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I like the King James version where it says, and lo, the angel of the Lord, because I always thought that was his name. Like, lo, the angel of the Lord. Like, there's Gabriel, there's Michael, and there's lo. Probably short for Lorenz. <laughs> Is what I'm thinking. Ah, <laughs> uh, But I just... Okay, let's keep going. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and locked in a manger. Then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace to men and women on whom his favor rests. Whether they were singing or shouting, we don't know. But I know that in previous sermons, Jill Jones has highlighted the fact that these angels were part of a heavenly army. They were angelic infantry. What of the reasons the shepherds were so afraid? The scripture is clear in the original Greek. The word is stratia. It means a military force. When Eugene Peterson in the message calls it an angelic choir, he's way off. I mean, Eugene Peterson is way smarter than I am. knew what he was doing he wasn't trying to translate he was trying to bring some emotion to the text i mean we know he wasn't trying to translate because in first Corinthians 13 a clanging symbol becomes squeaky gate if i have not love i'm just a squeaky gate you see so i want us to be really careful Bible students and understand this was a heavenly army, an angelic force. They were soldiers shouting a victory cry. But why were they there if they weren't just trying to sing little baby Jesus to sleep on that peaceful night with goodwill to all of us. Here's what I think they were there to protect the baby Jesus from Satan and his demonic cord. They were there to protect Joseph and Mary from evil spirits who were going to try not only mess with their lives but kill them. We get a hint of this in the last book of the Bible from John the Revelator. Let's go to there. Revelation chapter 12 verses 3 and 4. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. In this vision that the apostle john sees in the sky we get a symbolic picture of what was happening the woman had a crown of like 12 stars she's obviously representing israel and the 12 tribes of israel and the child born to her is the messiah and the devil is right there that night wanting to kill jesus The devil was waging war against the newborn Messiah, even then. The enmity between the serpent and this child was predicted from Genesis chapter three. The serpent, we are told, would bruise his heel, but the Messiah would crush the serpent's head. It was the seed of the woman not of the woman and the man. It was the seed of the woman that would be at war with the serpent. And we know that the battle for the life of Jesus would continue. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Okay. When they, the Magi, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt stay there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him who do you think inspires Herod to kill all the little boys in Bethlehem who were two years of age and under it's Satan of course he doesn't care about the collateral damage because he's a murderer from the beginning There are many scriptures that highlight, excuse me, <coughs> it's not COVID. <clears throat> there are many scriptures that highlight this ongoing battle between Jesus and the devil. There's his temptation in the wilderness, remember that? There's uh, all those stories where Jesus is casting out demons from many people. That's out and out battle, is it not? There's his healing of people and his teaching, which are all meant to destroy the works of the devil. If you want to go look up these scriptures that are in the middle of this slide, go right ahead. I think you've probably read them all before. But here's the deal. Jesus escalates the battle by passing the war on to his disciples Luke chapter 10 17 and 18 the 72 returned with joy and said Lord even the demons submit to us in your name and he Jesus replied I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven why am I going through all these scriptures It's because I don't ever want us to look at Christmas the same way again. Sometimes all people see is a sweet little baby Jesus sleeping in the hay. That's true. But it's certainly not the whole truth. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The kingdom of heaven was established with a beachhead at Bethlehem that very first Christmas day. Christmas morning was God's D-Day, planet Earth. Here's a quote that I'd like us to look at together. Jesus' message is that in his own person and mission, God has invaded human history and triumphed over evil, even though the final deliverance will occur only at the end of the age. So when it feels like you're losing the war, either inside yourself or in your family or at work or in the neighborhood, remember this. God's mission does not stop with Jesus we get to join in when Christmas happens inside of you when Jesus takes up residence in your heart when the incarnation establishes a beachhead in your soul the title battle the tide of battle is turned it's D-Day Satan has less and less control over who you are you become a liberated prisoner of war you become a fifth columnist you become a guerrilla fighter behind enemy lines you're enlisted to serve in the great freedom fight and to block bridges and to take airfields for the kingdom of God. You're a member of the rebellion helping to destroy the evil empire and yes there is an evil empire and it rules the world and the emperor is Satan otherwise how could Satan offer all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor to Jesus as a temptation in the wilderness if it wasn't his to give but here's the truth even though Satan is defeated even though he was defeated at the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus, his time is not yet up. He will keep trying to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy everything that we do in the name of Jesus. Just as the tide of battle was turned in Normandy, on those beaches in June of 1944, the Nazis kept fighting. It wasn't until April of the next year that we declared victory. I was talking to my friend Paul Melnichenko about his dad. His dad. Boris was a 19-year-old Ukrainian boy captured by the Nazis as they went eastward across Europe and forced to work in a Nazi slave labor camp for weeks he remembered Wings of hundreds of allied bombers coming over his camp, which was in Stuttgart, Germany, on the way to bomb other German industrial areas after they got done bombing Stuttgart. The factory where Paul's uncles worked for the Nazis had no roof because it had been bombed out burned. One of the German guards, a real kind man, had befriended Paul's father and sometimes would slip him sandwiches to supplement the bare sustenance rations that they were given. And Paul's father recalled when word of D-Day spread through the camp like wildfire. Paul's father studied the face of the German guard. It was such a profound expression of, we have lost the war. When you heard about D-Day. that Boris remembered it the rest of his life. Nothing appeared to change that day, however. Boris was still a prisoner. The guard still had the power of life and death over Paul's father. But hope was born. A hope that did not disappoint because the camp was going to be liberated. It was just a matter of time. The Allies were coming to reclaim the territory that was held by the Nazis. To bring freedom to the prisoners here's the deal we as the church expand the ground that is held by Jesus you might start in our own little hearts and the kingdom expands to us but just like it expands from Bethlehem to Judea to Samaria and the rest and the ends of the earth we join in the fight and we begin a liberation of others and other places as we bring the kingdom of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control to the spheres of influence that we command The war is securely won, but there are many battles to fight before final victory. For example, each person who goes to celebrate recovery and commits more of his or her life to Christ ends up expanding the rule of God not only within his or her heart, but within the family relationships, and, be, and 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 expands it with work relationships, and in the neighborhood, and with friends. And that's the way it works with every Christian. No matter what church you belong to, no matter what parish church you might work with, it's what goes on. We are part of what happened two thousand years ago, as Jesus made a beachhead in Bethlehem. God's D-Day, the tide of battle is turned, and we begin expanding, expanding, expanding the kingdom of love of God. This photo right here is from, I don't know, I think it's three days after the initial landing. Look at that. How many ships and other armaments there, they securely had won that. Normandy was and still remains free to this day. I'm going to give you an example. Present day, Christy Spitzer was a woman who attended Scum with her husband, Sam. Before she came to work on staff at Scum of the Earth, she managed that Starbucks on the corner of Lincoln and 6th Avenue. Christy is a wonderful woman. Everybody who meets her loves her. We want to talk about peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's Christy. The people who worked for Christy at that Starbucks got to work under that. It was like Christy was taking back that Starbucks for the kingdom of God because she protected her workers. It was a good place to work. She was generous as a boss. You weren't just a number. Punching a time card. You were a person. You were like a friend. Now, it just so happened that the district manager was a woman who was not concerned about any of that. The district manager was a woman who was concerned about profit and the bottom line, didn't care about people. And Christie stood really as a bulwark between the, dare I say, less than kingdom values of the district manager and her workers. She protected them. She shielded her people. The troubles and discomforts caused by the district manager stopped with Christie. The culture she created at Starbucks made it a great place to work, where employees felt valued it this is what it means to become part of what was begun at D-Day Christie became a fifth columnist a guerrilla fighter a freedom fighter to bring the rule of God to her place of work this is what it means to become part of what was begun at Christmas It means not only protecting your children from much of the evil that they're gonna encounter in the world, but also to prepare them to become guerrilla fighters next to you behind enemy lines. It means that you become a safe place for your friends to come when they're in trouble. It means for you to become Someone who can help rebuild a person's life who has fallen apart after the devil and demons have destroyed. You can come and you can help rebuild. After Jesus comes into our hearts and the incarnation happens there, we become a refuge and we create safe space for others. We invite them to join the rebellion begun by the incarnation of Jesus the Messiah who will one day at the end of the age achieve total victory over Satan, sin, and death when God places his enemies at his feet. I'm going to close with this little story. Back during World War II a little boy and his daddy were driving home at twilight on Christmas Eve. They drove past rows and rows of houses with Christmas trees and decorations. In many of the houses, the little boy noticed a star in the front window. He asked his father, Daddy, why do some people have a star in the window? His father said that when a service banner adorned with star, or stars was displayed displayed in a a home's window, it meant that a family member was involved in World War II. As they passed by the last house, suddenly the little boy caught sight of the evening star shining brightly in the sky. Look, Daddy. God must have a son who went to war. He's got a star in his window. Truly, God does have a son who went to war. Jesus came into our world to go to war with all of our sin and the devil by himself. And he asks us to join in the fight. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth that Christmas just isn't about the sweet little baby Jesus, but it's about the tide turning in your battle for lost souls. God, thank you for saving us. Save us who are not already saved and help us to join you in the battle to save others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.